A quick content warning. This week we discuss eating disorders. And while we tried our best to approach this topic as responsibly and thoughtfully as we could, it could still be potentially triggering. It's a powerful lie to equate thinness with self-worth. Clearly this lie is damn convincing because the weight loss industry thrives. Women continue to bend themselves to societal will. Women continue to hunger. And so do I. Roxane Gay, Hunger. I'm ambivalently yours, and this is Rebelliously Tiny, a podcast where each week my co-producer Hannah McCaslin and I invite a special guest to help us respond to one of the thousands of personal questions I've received on social media. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's the question that inspired this week's episode. Dear ambivalently yours, I have been mildly anorexic for three years and mildly bulimic for a year, but I am now in the process of recovery after having enrolled myself in the McGill Eating Disorder Clinic in January. Mildly, in quotations, was part of the diagnosis, but I am not sure I agree with this term. The lack of nuance in society guided me into this eating pattern and made it very difficult for me to get out of it. If I was to be as beautiful and as successful as others, I would have to have the perfect body to match it. I ate only enough to subsist on and my mind was consumed by food, but I was still able to continue a relatively productive life. Not fitting into the image of the extreme anorexic meant that I did not have to think that my situation was severe enough to seek treatment. Again, not recognizing ambiguity, ambivalence failed me. This pattern grew steadily worse and then transformed into bulimia. It reached a point where I was no longer strong enough to open doors anymore, let alone brave the Montreal winter. And then my cousin pushed me to enroll myself into the eating disorder clinic. Yay, female friends. I was ashamed because I knew this was a very privileged mental illness to have, but I now recognize that I am more useful to combating oppression when I am my healthy working self, so that was just an excuse not to be treated. Because the thought of letting go of this thing that I had put so much energy into for three years was terrifying. Eating disorders serve different purposes for different people, but for me it was an excuse not to work on more productive projects, which I had convinced myself I was going to fail at anyway. These past few months have been extremely difficult, as my mind is slowly becoming liberated from thoughts of food, and I have suddenly have time to think and devote myself to work that interests me. I am slowly trying to recover my sense of intuition and interest, which were lost due to the way that I regimented my life according to food. I am discovering what it means to be free with my fat rolls. That being said, I am extremely lucky in my body because it does not diverge too far from society's beauty norms. Most of the difficulty that I have encountered with my body image has come from myself. Distance yourself from their expectations definitely struck a chord with me. I'm sorry that this has ended up being a confessional email, but I don't get to go into detail about this with many people. 
I've been thinking a lot about the fact that the spectrum of eating disorders is not recognized, which enables people with disordered eating habits to continue restricting themselves rather than getting help. There is no ideal state of eating disorders to reach before getting help, just as there is no ideal state of beauty. Part of what has helped me in my moments of relapse are certain recovery blogs that remind me why I am working through this, why I am better without my eating disorder. I'm contacting you because I would love to collaborate in some way to discuss the spectrum of, of eating disorders and to talk about some of the information I have learned from the clinic, which I think is crucial for people to know. A lot of this would also be an ode to my female friends who helped and continue to help me pull through. This episode is a little different than all the rest. Usually we start off with an anonymous question I received online and we invite a guest to help us respond to it. But this time, the person who submitted the question is also the one who helps us respond to it. My name is Max. Um, I'm 23 years old, just turned 23, um, and have been out of school for a year now. Uh, live in Montreal. Um, yeah, and recovering from mild eating disorders. Don't really know how else to qualify myself. Max wrote to me last year, after hearing a few episodes of season one. Reading her message, I was touched by her willingness to share her story in such a vulnerable way. Shortly after receiving her letter, Max, Hannah, and I met up for coffee and had the kind of conversation I wish more people could have heard. So a few months later, we invited Max to my apartment studio to record this episode. I think disordered eating is like any state of eating where I guess you're just not really taking, you're eating because of an emotion, I think is kind of the best way to put it. Like not eating for nourishment, but eating for like some other yeah motivation or or like eating like only that's the thing I was gonna say that doesn't really make sense but I think it's like eating purely for nourishment like when if you thinking if you're thinking of eating as literally you have to eat because you have to survive and so you're eating like for me at least I was just like eating the bare minimum that you can so there's no there's no like pleasure really in eating there's no, there's no like eating like thoughtlessly. You can't just casually eat. It's eating but with something like attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, more than just like this is food that goes into your body. So that's why I said like disordered eating is like emotional eating because I think it's it's like eat. It's eating, but you have like a like a weight attached to it. It means that it means something. Yeah, it's like eating with a lot more baggage than yeah. if you're just like, eating with baggage. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and and so so for you, you were diagnosed as with as like mild with like a yeah. mild eating disorder. And so how do they did they explain to you how they qualify as opposed to because I feel like we see a lot in like film and media mm-hmm. like the extreme. Yeah. Like anorexia, bulimia. And so, and I think for a lot of people, maybe if it doesn't seem that extreme, they're like, oh, it's not mm-hmm. an issue. Yeah. Like if it's not visible, 
then the yeah then you're probably making it up or something I don't know like I know I have a lot of friends who are who are healthy weights whose BMIs are healthy and they definitely have like patterns of disordered eating and you know just because you don't look underweight or you don't look anorexic per se um that doesn't mean that you don't have a pattern of disordered eating that being said I don't really know how they qualified me um I bet they have many button like checks to tick no boxes Boxes to to tick tick, there you go um it's kind of it's kind of weird because it's definitely based on BMI which I think there have been like a lot of studies that show that BMI doesn't necessarily tell you anything really just because it really depends on your height and your weight and it can it doesn't like mean you're even if you have a healthy BMI doesn't mean you're necessarily eating right mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but I think my BMI was slightly lower than it was meant to be and then they made me kind of discuss what what I was eating and um, how I went about eating, I guess, um, and how I, it was a lot of talking about how I thought about eating, which is why, when, why, when your first question, I said that disordered eating is something that's more, like, emotional eating, because it was about, you know, if you go through a day, and you've eaten such and such, like, does that mean you've had, like, a bad day, um, yeah, and, and it was that, so I guess that's kind of how they qualified it. Mm-hmm. How many people in your life are dieting right now? How many of them are overly concerned with what they eat? How many of them hate their bodies? How many of us hate our bodies? How much time do we spend trying to fit into ideals that will never be attainable for us? Why are these weight concerns so prevalent in our daily lives? so normal to talk about. As women, sometimes it's hard to be taken seriously um, because it's almost like expected that Mm -hmm. a lot of women will be dieting or have like specific like diets. Yeah. Um, Did you feel that that sort of made that, I mean, did you experience that or did you feel like that? Yeah, so like, so that's why it took me I mean, even, so I, looking back, I can now see that I probably developed some sort of disordered eating or eating disorder, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'd had it for three years. The, like, summer I got out of first year of university was really, the, like, a turning point. But it took me three years to kind of even acknowledge that I had a problem with eating, and I was really, really lucky to have a person in my life who I could tell right away that once I acknowledged it because I feel like normally it would take a lot longer to go from the step of acknowledging that you have some sort of like pattern or some sort of like bad relationship with food to actually getting help and by then things could like probably have gotten more severe um but I had someone in my life who pushed me to go get help and um I think even up until even when they diagnosed me I didn't believe that I had a problem with eating I 
kind of just I thought it was self-indulgent to go to go to this um to go to the clinic because in my mind in my mind it was normal that I was thinking about food all the time and that I was restricting what I was eating and that there were good foods and that there were bad foods and that kind of the like main thing that motivated in my motivated me in my life was weight and was my appearance and I'd never been told otherwise I'd never been told that that was that there were other things that I could like expect to strive for because my like my entire life most of my female family members were always talking about weight and like always kind of restricting themselves and it was always such a big topic of conversation and then if you look to like I don't know I read a lot when I was a kid and you know even in like even in books you're not safe because all the female characters are these like thin beautiful women that are being romanticized by male narrators so I never really yeah I never really knew that it was a problem and that I could kind of expect more. What does it say about our culture that the desire for weight loss is considered a default feature of womanhood? Roxane Gay, Hunger. Yeah, it's so normalized in our society. Like this, these like ideas, not even just like these body ideals, but this idea that women depriving themselves of nourishment of mm-hmm. food is like a sign of strength or self control. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've I I've definitely like felt that too, mm-hmm. and and I've you know, I've felt that for other people when I, you know, I've pettily, like, seen other people from my past and then be like, oh, they gained weight. And, like, my first instinct is to be like, oh, that person has no Mm self-control. And these are, like, attitudes that it's only, like, learning about feminism and learning about how all these things are ingrained in our society Mm -hmm. that I'm, like, that's, like, super toxic of me to think that way. And that's, like, that's just me projecting my own insecurities on other people and... I cringe listening to this last part, saying the words out loud. I hate myself for thinking that way. But all this self-loathing is connected. It's a cycle, a virus that we spread to each other when we can't get rid of it in ourselves. Yeah, it sucks. I catch myself doing it too. Like whenever I see people who gain weight and you're like, oh, they're letting themselves go. And then I think about, I've often thought about like, so, like, recently I've been, like, it's been quite hard because summer is, like, come back, which is great. I'm really happy. But, you know, that means, like, you've got to get the shorts out and the dresses out. And, you know, I'm suddenly realizing that I've gained, like, quite a lot of weight, which is good. And which is, like, a calculated thing that I've done. And I've been put on a meal plan. And it's, like, very controlled. But I know that from the exterior it looks like it's uncontrolled and that I'm letting go. And, like, I'm I'm really lucky that I surround myself with people who don't, like, diet and who don't talk about weight all the time. But occasionally, like, I'll be in an environment where people do and I it, people talk about it all the time. But it's, it's mainly, like, men talking about women mm-hmm. or women talking about themselves. 
another thing I've also realized like with like social media and stuff is that I'm seeing a lot of celebrities posting about posting themselves working out mm-hmm. a lot and posting what they're eating and you know I think it's super important to have an active lifestyle but I also sometimes find that to be a bit aggressive yeah yeah um it definitely is what what's the thing they say they say like fit is the new thin is um so it's like it's kind of transitioned from just like being it's kind of like the like 90s early 2000s Winona Ryder aesthetic of just being super thin and like pale and <laughs> uh like obviously unhealthy yeah <laughs> to being like super fit and just working out all the time and who has time for that I don't have time for that but um people yeah <laughs> Another trick that the cult of thinness plays on us is that it makes us believe that thinness is available to anyone. All you have to do is eat well and exercise and live a clean lifestyle, and the vegan yoga influencer body can be yours too. The catch is that this kind of body has a price tag. What we don't usually see in those Insta stories is the time and resources required to achieve the kinds of bodies we see on celebrities. Those vegan green smoothies and hot yoga classes aren't free. Not for most of us anyway. I'm not saying this to deter anyone from taking care of their body. But we also have to put things into perspective and learn to be kinder to ourselves when we can't achieve the kind of results we've been tricked into thinking would be attainable if we just worked hard enough. Or it's like branded as like wellness as mm-hmm. healthy. I yeah. see a lot of, of accounts too of like like these very thin women doing like yoga and promoting healthiness or veganism even is but it's always very associated with thinness. Yeah. Which sometimes makes me worry. Like it just makes me yeah, feel yeah. like there's something there that's maybe giving the wrong idea. No, you're right. It's so it's it is like a veiled form of it's definitely not maybe not disordered eating but it's definitely like a very unhealthy mindset uh i've stopped going to yoga because my yoga studio stresses me out so much because it's all these people who like evidently like don't eat enough and are working out all the time and the like a lot of times veganism is an excuse just not to eat well um and that's actually something like when i was uh at the clinic um that's something they like asked me about was whether or not I was a vegan and then explained that like a lot of people use veganism as kind of an excuse to keep it going um that being said I think like there are ways to like healthily exercise um and like healthily be vegans and vegetarians but I think when it just comes with this idea of like thinness and not necessarily anything else then that's where it becomes a problem yeah I feel like there are so many other weird diet fads too that I see all the time like I'm not gonna remember all of the names of them but it's like like the paleo diet is one of them or like um you guys do you guys know that like he's like a famous cook slash celebrity tim ferris and he wrote this whole book about how you shouldn't eat carbs like ever basically (laughs) 
like you like one day a week you can like eat carbs or whatever and I don't know I just think certain things like that I see so many people doing like these variations of them and just like in ways that seem really unhealthy sometimes but I guess that's another conversation like it's okay to like be conscious about what you're eating and to be thinking about food and different people like different things and how can we talk about that without and in a healthy way I guess like yeah but I think that like you know some ways of eating like some people have like allergies or you know have to eat a certain way like this is something that Hannah you and I have talked about like you have like a specific diet that you have to follow because of health but because you exist in this world where suddenly everyone's allergic to gluten, like, you're almost, like, not taken seriously. And I don't know if you want to talk to that a little bit, because I feel like it's in some way kind of related. Yeah, I mean, I think it's related in the sense that, like, because, like, I have an autoimmune disease that makes me allergic to gluten like severely allergic and because gluten happens to be one of those things that's the topic of a fad diet and particularly fad diets that seem really gendered to me like it's very at least from my experience it's really often women and I think there's this image of like the it's very it's a it's an image of and this might just be my perception but of kind of like a wealthy really thin white woman like a Gwyneth Paltrow or something like that who's like not eating wheat or gluten and it's kind of become this image of that and I think this woman is not taken seriously like probably because of sexism and also just because of like weird societal perceptions of food and that kind of thing but and so for my end it is frustrating because I have a very real like bodily allergy to this food and people can't really detach me from that image that they have um so it's frustrating like I was telling you that like I can't really eat out at restaurants anymore unless they're like actually explicitly committed to that like I used to when I first found out I had celiac I was able to eat out a lot more easily and now it's become quite difficult I get really like rude interactions really like it's just weird but um yeah I just think like it's also it's also weird because I have I've also had a lot of interactions where people will say things to me like their first response is like oh well like you're gonna lose weight or like you're doing this to lose weight or something like that and I'm like no I genuinely like cannot eat this food like or anything that literally touches it like I'm (laughs) gonna be like ill um and also that's like another weird assumption like there's these assumptions sometimes that if you are vegan or vegetarian or have celiac or whatever it is that you are going to be like thinner as if that's like the goal or as if that's the like only standard to reach which is so not necessarily true like you can absolutely be vegan and have an above average bmi and like bmi are so arbitrary arbitrary and all this stuff and same with gluten like I actually gained weight when I went on a gluten-free diet because my body was finally healthy so it was finally absorbing food the way it was supposed to I had like a lost a ton of weight because I was really severely ill (laughs) so it's like yeah it's just people have really really interesting assumptions about all these things and I definitely think it's somewhat related just because I think that it is really gendered and I think it's because it is a dietary change it's related to those like fad diets well yeah I think it's just related in the way like women 
eat is policed. Yeah. yeah. And I think the like the main yeah, the big problem with these like new Instagram accounts and this new like all these blogs and all these like women promoting this lifestyle is that it's promoted as this like wholesome healthy diet so it's not really like so people are just buying into the whole like health craze Mm -hmm. without even questioning the fact that like it's making you think about your food like you need to be in order to follow these trends like you need to be thinking like every moment of every day you need to be policing your food in a in a certain way and it's like instead of it being thought of as this this like maybe unhealthy thing where people or women are like thinking about their food every day constantly and restricting themselves it's like automatically seen as healthy because they have an instagram account and they exercise and their life is wholesome and happy and it's like yeah it's just or like the image of their life that they're curating very well on there and you don't even know like what qualifications these people have to be giving yeah yeah (laughs) advice it's like an implicit but also super explicit correlation like healthy equals super thin it's just kind of like okay do this this and this and we'll call it healthy but like everybody kind of knows underneath that like that means Mm -hmm. striving to be really thin but not too thin because then you're not fit (laughs) yeah then people are gonna call you out for having like I have friends who are just naturally very very thin and who people call out all the time for having eating disorders and that as well is really really like unpleasant when you're just yourself and people tell you that you have an eating disorder and that you should be eating more um but again it's it's always wrapped up in this like one image that people have of what an eating disorder looks like yeah which i think is like the main barrier to people getting help like if you're thinking about Making an episode about eating disorders is delicate. There is a dangerously thin line between making something that can be healing versus creating something that is triggering. After we finished our conversation, Max already had reservations about some of the issues we had just finished discussing. Take a moment to ask yourself if listening to this is helping you or hindering you. Sometimes turning off a podcast halfway through can be as much self-care as listening to it to the end. So I guess maybe we could talk a bit more about like strategies that you learned or mm-hmm. strategies that have you've tried that have worked for you to change these patterns. Yeah. Um so like part of it, so part of what they do at the clinic is like putting you on like a strict diet because like part of it is making you they like actually want to make you gain weight um because I was underweight and yeah I needed to gain weight um and then the like that's like one half of it and the other half of it is like like more like mental and like trying to get over the like mental block that you have around food and around body image um which I was so, I mean, I was so lucky that, like, McGill offered that and that it was free for me, Um, and I was able to do that. Like, a lot of I know that, like, that resource is not available to a lot of people, Um, and so it was group therapy, which was 
quite stressful. Um, but it was just a lot of talking about how, you know, your body kind of just is the way it is. And it's really unfortunate that we live in a society where there is is this kind of like ideal body type and that that's like, like spread around so much. Uh, I mean, I think that's changing, definitely. Um, but like one thing that really stuck with me was this idea of, I can't remember what the like theory is anymore, but there's, is there, is the idea is that like you can't, you as a person kind of will always like naturally stay at the same kind of weight. Um, if you're not like forcing things, if you're not completely restricting or like completely like overeating all the time your body will kind of like give or take like five pounds will kind of stay at the same area and that is your like set natural weight and that that can't really change that much and like and it was just kind of putting forth this like question of like your height is the same way you you're not gonna like you know you're not gonna like go out of your way to try and like change what height you are because that (laughs) well it's like pretty impossible but you know, you're not going like, to question your height, so why are we constantly obsessed with our weight, which also is kind of fixed? Um, and so that, like, really, I don't know, that really, really stuck with me because, like, it's true. Like, if you're, you can't really, there are things that you can't really change. And, like, people would always say to me, well, not always say to me, but, like, you, you, you like learn that dieting is like not a way to like lose weight really whenever you diet you're like gonna at some point like gain back all the weight that you've lost that was not good for me to hear because that just like I kind of took that as a like a challenge (laughs) and was like I'm gonna prove you wrong Uh, but I was wrong like your weight does come back eventually if you're being healthy Um, a lot of it which people maybe don't realize it is how mental an illness it is just um like how much space it takes that's really what pushed me like that's really what was part of the reason why I was like pushed to get help or like agreed to get help was because it was taking up so much space mentally um I mean, at a certain point, like, if you're not eating well, all you can think about is food, and, um, you're so tired all the time, and you can't concentrate, and it also makes you, like, uh, it really isolates you, because you can't, like, the thought of eating with other people would stress me out, because people would always comment on things, um, so you start to eat by yourself, and, um, like I was getting like a lot more anxious and, you know, kind of just like becoming this like shadow of myself. Um, and when I suddenly realized how much, like how much space it was taking, I, and it was my last year of university, I kind of realized that, you know, there are better things I could be thinking about. Um, yeah and so a lot of like a lot of the like therapy that they make you go through is kind of like mapping out where your energy would be if you could get rid of this like if you could be healthy like 
what are some other things you would like to try and be good at or what are some other things you would like to um like who are other people you would like to spend time with or like what are the main things that you think this is like hindering you from so kind of making you see that like kind of pulling you away from the whole like body image aspect of it um and just making you think about all the like positive mental things um which are still really hard like I still and sometimes I forget how much like like three years is quite a lot of time to just be thinking about your weight and like it takes time to kind of like find what other things you were interested in before what other things you might be interested in now to kind of replace that gap I guess um at 17, I started to starve myself. I thought that love was a kind of emptiness. And at least I understood then the hunger I felt. And I didn't have to call it loneliness. Florence and the Machine, Hunger. Any sort of mental illness, there's always like work to be done and it's about like sort of like focusing your energy somewhere else like I know for me I'm definitely like a emotional eater Mm -hmm. like when I'm really anxious really stressed really depressed like food is my bomb I just like eat as much as I can and not like all the time but I've there have been times where I'm like okay I had like no satisfaction in eating this I just like was trying to fill a void yeah and to not like deal with whatever I had to deal with yeah and And it's the same exact thing like Mm -hmm. those things are so similar like same if if I'm like if I'm not eating it's because I'm like super stressed and I'm trying to fill a void and I'm trying not to think about it and like I can put my energy in this other thing and I like do not have to think about the actual thing that is stressing me out yeah it's like trying to like like gain some sort of Mm -hmm. control yeah and your mind is feeling like it's not in control and yeah it's it's really it's really complicated and it's tough because like we have these ideals that even if we know better even if we've studied feminism even if like you know we it, it's really mm-hmm. hard to get rid of those images yeah. cuz they're everywhere mm-hmm. they're in everything that we look at that we listen to it's everywhere and also I mean, we have, we, so we've talked about the, like, like, thin, yeah, so thin white women are, like, obviously, like, glamorized, we've said that, but also eating disorders, I think, um, I just remember in, like, in first year of university being surrounded by so many men who would, like, talk about the fact that, like, women that they saw around them had eating disorders, but then, like, follow that statement with, like, oh, like, she's so hot, or, like, like things that would, like, demonstrate that they were, like, completely attracted to them and not worried that these women were obviously, like, had some sort of illness, and I think that, like, really affected me. First thing that's really hard to get out of is the mindset that you were happier with the eating disorder that it's somehow giving you more more benefits um which truly 
like isn't the case. Um, not having an eating disorder doesn't necessarily mean that you like love yourself right That's away. That's true. For sure. um, <laughs> but it's just it's like very liberating because like suddenly you don't have to be bound by this like constraint. I just having like food attached to your like physical self worth is it's like too much to handle <laughs> for that long. It takes so much mental energy to hate ourselves. It's isolating. You can get lost in it. You can know better. You can read all the feminist literature, do all the right things, and still struggle. I know I do. So I try to talk about it. I try to reach out. Because more often than not, the self-loathing we feel isn't an isolated event. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in the society that feeds it, profits from it. To talk about it, to expose it, is to take away some of its power. Because no matter how hard it is to believe sometimes, we're all worth fighting for. Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced and co-written by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. This episode was recorded in the field and at Obero Artist Run Center in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. A special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their kindness and support. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit ambivalentlyyours.com or follow us on social media at RebelliouslyTiny on Instagram and Facebook, at RebelliousTiny on Twitter. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit an anonymous question of your own, please send us an email at rebelliouslytiny at gmail.com or email us an audio recording of your question. You can also DM us on any of our social media accounts. If you would like to support our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to make a financial contribution, please email us at rebelliouslytiny at gmail.com. This season is entirely listener-supported, and we are eternally grateful to everyone who shared and contributed to our Kickstarter campaign in the fall of 2017. Thank you.